Okay, that's the worst song. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's going to be stuck in your head now, and I'm really sorry about it, and I won't play it again, okay? Deal. Um, so in college and, like, later in life still, like, as I hang out with my friends, we've played this game just for fun, you know, like, whenever we're, we feel like it. And I don't know if you've ever played it before, but it's kind of an embarrassing game called Never Have I Ever. And the point of this game is to like really embarrass the rest of your friends, okay? The point of what you do is you hold up five fingers, and every time one of your, it's your friend's turn, they say, never have I ever. And they wanna, what they want to do is they want to think of something they've never done, but they know you've done. And my friends, like, I'm kind of, I have this weird habit of always being the butt of jokes, and so my friends are all know mine really well, and so I always get out really quickly. And so I kind of thought like I could share with you, if you ever play this game with me, how quickly you can get me out of never have I ever. So the way it goes is like you hold up five fingers, and then like if someone says never have I ever, like for instance, like you could say never have I ever enjoyed a country song. And if you enjoy country music, you have to put a finger down, right? Like, and that would be really embarrassing right? Okay, so that's how this game goes. So, so everyone else is going around the room, and like it gets to my friends, and they know me, right? And they know how to get me out of the game. And so I have friends who will say things like, never have I ever swallowed a golf tee. And I have to think back to the time we were in high school playing golf, and I had a golf tee in my mouth, and my friend told a funny joke, and I laughed, and the golf tee went in my mouth and down my throat. And it was as painful as you are thinking it was. And that was a very long week in the Stroop house, and it was like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. So then I like put a finger down, right? I'm already, I'm already in trouble. And then my next friend goes, and he'll say something like, never have I ever videotaped my friends committing a felony. And I have to put another finger down because I one time videotaped my friends smashing a concrete goose and throwing it into somebody's pool and causing all sorts of havoc. It was terrible. Which then leads to the next one, which is never have I ever then as a result of that felony ridden in the back of a police car and seen the charges drop down to a misdemeanor criminal mischief of the third degree. And then Ben puts down another finger and this game just keeps going, right? <laughs> you're like, yes, haha, Ben, his life, ah, you know, like, and you're all going, really? Isn't he a preacher? It gets worse, don't worry. So then they say things like never have I ever bought two engagement rings, yeah, Ben's been engaged twice. Ah, ha, 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 ha. You know, like, and the, the game just keeps going because everybody knows everybody else's deep, dark secrets, right? Like, it happens, okay? The, everybody has secrets. And it, I, I always laugh when we play the game because eventually we can all get each other out because we know each other's secrets. But as we look around the room and I start to think about your secrets, and I start to think about the secrets that you keep, and I start to think about the secrets that everybody else in the room has, and I realize that if we were to just kind of parade each other on stage, it wouldn't take that long for each of us to have a pretty rough time sharing our secrets. You see, because I tell you silly things, like about the time I swallowed a golf tee, and silly things like, you know, the time that I got arrested, and luckily the charges got dropped down to a misdemeanor, and it wasn't a big deal because I was only 14, and I went to diversion, and, you know, like the time I got engaged in college, and it was a terrible choice, and my whole family prayed that it wouldn't happen, and it didn't, you know, and like, like all of these things, I tell you those things, like as a joke, but then I think about the deep, dark secrets that I'm not going to share with you, because you might leave the room. And then I start to think about the deep, dark secrets that I know for some of you. And I know the deep, dark secrets for other people. 
and I know this because it's just the way life is, that there's not a person on the planet who doesn't carry some baggage. You see, there's not a person in this room who isn't carrying baggage, secrets, and shame. The difference is, is that some of the sin is public and sometimes it's private. You see, there's people that we all know their sin, and there's people that we all know their shame. There's people we all know their guilt and what, they're, and what they've done. And then there's people like us, right? There's people who we know they're the drug addict. There's people who we know they're the boozer. There's people who we know that they're the adulterer. We know that they're the liar. They're the cheat. They're the fraud. But then there's people like us. Because us, well, we've, you know, judged, we've gossiped, we've been greedy, we've been jealous, we've envied, we've done all of those things. We've just never been caught. We've hated, we've, we've been angry, we've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've just never been caught. We've committed adultery in our hearts, we've, we've committed murder in our hearts, we do all of the things that, that we could be guilty of if anyone else knew our thoughts. The fact of the matter is we just didn't act on it publicly because one thing or another, or we didn't get caught, and it didn't end up on the news, and it didn't end up on the police scanner. And So because of that, we walk with our chests puffed out just a little more. And so for us, it's easy. And so for us, it's simple. Because all we have to do is just keep up the facade. Because all we have to do is just keep pretending like everything is okay. Because we can play Never Have I Ever, and we don't have to keep any secrets because everyone just thinks that they don't know, and we just keep the secrets to ourselves. And we don't play this game because no one has to know the deep, dark secrets that ride in our hearts, and we just say, I'm just going to hold on to that. But the reality is, is that for each of us, whether we want to admit it out loud or not, whether we want to say it, whether we want to write it, whether we would ever nod our head in agreement, the reality is for each one of us is that we all have secrets and that we all have baggage and that we all have shame. And for some of us, we've just been lucky enough that not that many other people know about it. And so for us, because it's a secret, because we think it's a well-kept secret, we spend a lot of time looking down on everyone else. And we think, well, I can't believe you did such and such. I can't believe you acted on so-and-so. I would never do such a thing. But the reality is if they knew your heart or if they knew what happened behind closed doors, because we can hold our nose in the air at the addict because we would never be tempted by drugs. But the reality is, is that the sin that entangles us is something that would never tempt them and see, so this, this isn't like something that just holds on to us, though. Like, this is something that's been going on forever, 
And it's, this, it's just the way of life that if I keep my secrets and the, and the sins that I commit and the wrongs that I have and the things that I do, if I do those just quietly enough, then I can look down my nose at everyone else. And in fact, entire countries look down their nose at entire other countries and groups because I don't, I don't do wrong the way you do. And I don't do wrong the way you do turns eventually into I don't do wrong. And this happened in, in, the, in the time that Jesus walked the earth. This happened to, the, to a group of people called the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were a group of people who were Jewish and then kind of intermingled with, with other nationalities and kind of lost sight of who the God of, the, of, God of Israelites was. And they, kind of, and they kind of lost that faith. And so the Jewish people, though the Jewish people had lost sight of who God was hundreds and thousands of times and had worshipped every idol you can conceive of, and though they had lost sight of God in every which way, shape, and form, they hadn't yet crossed this line, and so they had this really good way of looking down their nose at the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans had crossed the line of marrying non-Israelites. And so the, the Israelites, they lied, they cheated, they stole, they committed adultery with each other, they did all of these things, but they never married non-Israelites. And that was the one sin that they knew. Huh, he's not going to commit that one. And so when the Samaritans did that, when they became Samaritans, the Israelites said, hmm, and started walking with their noses in the air and eventually started walking around the town that became known as Samaria. And then eventually Samaria kind of became this like unwanted wrong side of the tracks area that no one wanted to be because the Israelites would hold their nose in the air and say, I'm not going there to the lowly Samarians. All because the Israelite people who had gone there just sinned a little differently than the Israelites did. And so one day Jesus was going on a journey, and in John chapter 4, if you want to open your Bible there, it's in John chapter 4, it starts in verse 3, it says, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and it says he had to pass through Samaria. Now, had to pass through Samaria is really an interesting term because he didn't have to. Most Jews would make the choice to go around Samaria, even though it made it a more difficult journey. Uh, Topographically speaking, uh, I mean, like, you know, mileage-wise speaking, it was harder to go through Samaria, but most of the Israelites made that choice because it was the better choice to, to walk with your nose in the air while you walked around Samaria than to walk through Samaria. But Jesus, John tells us, had to go through Samaria And he had to go through Samaria because he knew where he was going. And we don't know if it was like this compulsion that he had and the supernatural part of him because he's 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 fully God and fully man. And and we don't, you know, so it doesn't say that he knew what he was going to do, but we knew he knew where he was going and he knew what, what impact was about to have happen. And he knew that this wasn't going to happen if he didn't walk through the center of Samaria. And so in the middle of Samaria, he came, to the town, he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And John makes it a point here to, to tell you that Jesus is sitting down because he's tired. And John makes it a point to tell you this for two reasons. Number one, because he's sitting at the well on purpose. Number two, because Jesus is fully God 
and he knows why he's coming, and he knows what he's doing, but also because he's fully man, and they've been walking for a long time. They're on a journey. They're, they're on a mission. They're doing something on purpose, but the simple fact of the matter was is they'd been walking for a while, and Jesus was tired, and he wanted to rest, and I don't know about you, but there come moments in my life when I'm tired, And the first thing that goes when I'm tired is my interest in talking. I'm an extroverted kind of guy all the time. But when I'm tired, when I haven't had enough sleep, when when we've worked hard, whatever it is, the first thing that goes is my interest in having any conversation. Right? So at the end of a long day or in the morning if I wake up too early because the kids didn't sleep or whatever it is, the last thing I want to do is talk. And so Jesus sits down at the well and I, and I put myself in his place and I'm thinking, man, if I'm tired, if we've been walking for a long time, the last thing I want is an interruption. But what's the exact thing that Jesus teaches us here? Is he's going to show us that moments to talk about Jesus come in interruptions. Because Jesus sits down to rest knowing exactly full well what's going to come. And it looks like he's sitting down to rest, but he knows that there's an interruption about to come. And the interruption starts walking up the hill towards the well, and it's a woman from Samaria. And and it says in verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And it says, "For For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him in verse 9, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And John tells us that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And there's, there's a couple layers to this. First off, Jews weren't supposed to speak to Samaritans at all. To start with, they weren't supposed to talk to begin with. They didn't speak to each other, they didn't look at each other, they didn't talk to each other. On an even higher level, men wouldn't speak to women, even their wives, in public most of the time. It just was the culture, it was the way, I don't know that I would say that's right, it's not right, but it was the way of the culture at the time. So for Jesus, a Jew, to be speaking to this Samaritan woman is, is a strike on several levels. And to be asking this woman, who most Jews would deem unclean for a drink of water, is another strike. But so she's just blown away that this Jewish rabbi is asking her for a drink. And she's just like, what? You're asking me for a drink? But Jesus sees far beyond what she's asking for. And Jesus sees something much bigger than the water. You see... What you need to know is that this woman is going to the well around noon. And the reason she's going to the well around noon is because she's going to the well at a time when she thinks no one else is going to be there. She's going to the well at a time when she thinks no one else is going to be there because if she goes around 6 a.m. when the other ladies go to the well, she knows they're going to look at her and they're going to talk about her. If she goes to the well, when the rest of the ladies go to the well, she knows the conversation will kind of dry up once she gets there and everybody will just kind of look sideways at her. Because they're all Samaritans too, but they're a different kind of Samaritan than her. You see, this woman, even amongst a broken people like the Samaritans, 
she's even more broken. She's carrying even more baggage. And so she purposely waited until noon, the hottest time of day, to come to the well when she thought no one else would be there to get water because she wanted to be alone. She wanted to be by herself. She didn't want to be bothered by anyone. She didn't want to feel the look. She didn't want to hear the... (sighs) She didn't want to feel the cold shoulder. She just wanted to be by herself. And so when Jesus asks her for a drink, it really throws her. Because this was something she would have never expected. But then Jesus throws her even more. Because he answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, this woman, she has no idea who she's talking to. I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know the whole story, right? Like we get, we understand it, but this woman is alone. She's broken. She's scared. She's afraid. She has no idea that she is speaking to God in the flesh who can provide her everything she thinks she's looking for. And Jesus knows. And it's in the midst of this conversation that Jesus provides for her an answer. And this is somewhere where you have to be very careful because I'm always wary of what we call in, in, my, uh, in ministry the Jesus juke. And um, we refer to it jokingly, but the Jesus juke is this thing that happens like when you're having a normal conversation and then all of a sudden somebody's like, jukes you in the other direction. I, I, I have trouble thinking of a really good one, right? But like, say you're talking about a soccer game. I, that's a terrible example because no one talks about soccer. Um, say you're talking about a football game, right? And you're like, man, did you see that game the other night? Yeah, like the, the polar bears really won. They're a great football team, right? And you're like, you know what else is a great football team? The team that Jesus is assembling in heaven, right? Like that had nothing to do with anything, but, but you, start, you try to steer the conversation to Jesus. That's called a Jesus juke. That's a really bad Jesus juke. Don't ever do it, okay? So, so this, is, this is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> You're all thinking about the polar bears now, aren't you? But that's okay. But the Jesus juke is something that happens unnaturally. It's something that kind of just takes place that totally shifts the conversation. But what Jesus is doing here isn't what we jokingly call the Jesus juke. What he's doing is he's having an intentional conversation with someone he knows because he's fully God and fully man. Is someone he knows is looking for something and he's saying, I know what you're looking for and I found it. But he gets to take it a level higher because he's Jesus and he says, I know what you're looking for and it's me. And you see, for us, there's this danger that comes when you read things that happen in in Scripture, when you read stories about Jesus. There's a danger that happens when you put yourself in the place of Jesus. And so my advice to you 99% of the time is don't. Like, don't read the stories and think, I'm Jesus in this story, because that'll get you in trouble. But in this moment, there are some things we can learn from Jesus about having conversations with people about Jesus. And one of the most important things that we can learn is that moments to talk about Jesus come after time, preparation, and love. These moments can't be trite or forced. 
This is an important distinction to make. Because Jesus has the opportunity here to present her with living water, but only because he knows all of her backstory. This, this conversation that we, get, that we get to read in John chapter 4 is a very short version of what our entire lives should read. This is one conversation that for us might take the course of days, weeks, months. And this is an important distinction to make. But even so, I want you to catch how subtle Jesus is. Because he makes the point, right? He says something about living water, but he's so subtle, she misses it. And she says this in verse 11. She says, the woman said to him, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where will you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink from, and his sons did, and his livestock. Right? I mean, this, this, is the, this is the point that I want you to see when it comes to conversations about Jesus. Is that it wasn't so outright blatant that he hit her over the head with it and she couldn't miss it. But at first, it was a subtle part of the conversation that she almost just completely lost on her. But it started her thinking about something in a different direction that asked her more questions. And so when we have these conversations... It's important for us to make sure that we're leading people to asking more questions. Because you see, there's some of us in this room who are tempted to say, I identify with Jesus in this story. But the reality is, is that every single one of us, before we even can think that we identify with Jesus in the story of John chapter 4, have to remember that we first identify with the woman. Because the story of the woman is the story of us. Because this woman has been searching for something for a long time. She has been looking for some kind of fulfillment. She has been looking for some kind of hope. She has been looking for some kind of strength and consistency in her life that she cannot find. And because of that, she keeps carrying this baggage with her everywhere she goes. And so Jesus says this to her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him be, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says this, she said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And she starts to realize, what he has is what I want. What he has is what I'm looking for. What he has is going to solve the problem that I've, that I've got going on. And then Jesus starts to shift the conversation, right? Again, for us, this isn't maybe one conversation. This is the course of a relationship. This is the course of days or minutes or hours. But for Jesus, this is in one moment where he kind of shifts the conversation because he knows what's coming next. And Jesus says to her, go, Call your husband and come here. 
And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And again, I want you to hear that. Because I want you to hear that he didn't say, that's right, you don't have a husband, you hussy. He didn't say, you're right, how are you not married to this man? Get your life together, woman. He just gently looks at her and says, you're right. You've had five. And I imagine that that Jesus had to have this look of compassion in his eyes in this moment because she knows what's happening. And there's this transition happening when the light bulb is coming on for her, when he's talking about living water and she's realizing what's going on and what's what's happening here and who they're talking about and what's going on and and all of the the transitions that are coming and what's happening about in in this small microcosm of a conversation between the two and all of the shifts and all of the change and everything that's going on. And he looks at her with compassion in his eyes and he says, I know. I know things have been hard. I know they have. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I hope they're not hard for you for much longer. And this is the the third thing that I think we need to understand about having these conversations. Is that moments to talk about sin come when somebody is ready to talk about heart change. Because you notice Jesus did not lead off the conversation with, hey woman with five husbands, it's nice to meet you. He didn't lead off the conversation with, hey lady, how's that guy you're living with now? He's not your husband either, is he? But instead, it's this gradual progression when she starts to see and understand the difference and she starts to gather what is happening in her life. And so again, I tell you that I know this story to be true in each of our lives. And for you, it might not be five husbands. But for each of us, there is this thing that we have tried over and over again to fill our life with. This is why I say, you probably start the story of John chapter 4. We all start the story of John chapter 4 as the woman first. We cannot forget that fact that most of us are probably still the woman in John chapter 4. Because we have spent our entire life trying to fill that void with money, with achievement, with drugs, with status, with family. We've spent our entire lives trying to fill that void with with status, with, with power, with fame, with prestige. Whatever it is, we are trying our best to fill this void that we have with something else. And every time we drink from the well, we realize very quickly, I'm, I'm thirsty again. And Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, I'm telling you, what you're looking for, it's living water. And so for some of us, there has come a point in our lives when we've realized that there is the living water. How ironic that on a day when I'm talking about living water, I can't stop drinking water. But there's coming a point where there is living water And we think that we find ourselves on the other end of this conversation. 
And I want to challenge you to have this part of the conversation because this is the most important part of the conversation that we have. Now, Jesus didn't have the conversation this way because he didn't have a napkin handy to draw it and because the whole thing hadn't happened yet. But this is how we encourage you to have this conversation. And it starts with us and God. And it starts with the two of us because the original creation, the original design for all of creation was for the two of us to be walking together. And as we were walking together, God was with us. Whitney, we have these slides if you want to skip down to them. Okay, well, don't do it then. But as we were walking together, eventually man made the choice to be separated from God. And after man made the choice to be separated from God, the next choice that man made was to try to win its way back to God, and there was no way for man to win his way back to God until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, the only way for him to win man's way back to God was through the cross. And the living water only comes because of Jesus' willingness to go onto the cross for you and for me. And so now here in the next few moments as we take the bread and we take the cup, we remember Jesus' body broken for us and his blood poured out for us because there was nothing that we could do because there was nothing that we could earn. There was no amount of water we could draw from the well but Jesus.